I can just read the intro. Can I do that? Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. It's your podcast. <laughs> okay. This is an aviation hitch. His, take Can two. you read the intro? <laughs> <laughs> this is an aviation history podcast, which looks at events in aviation history like air disasters, accidents, incidents, mishaps, and sometimes just the crazy history of aviation and the people that surround it and the events that are, you know, that have happened in the past. You're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents, often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution. Sir, are your pants meowing? Yeah, you interested? Pull up. No, the plane is about to crash. Wind shear. You're looking a little anxious, Kent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Increase climb. Only if you really need me to. Threw his clothes off. Had an accident. Got his tree and went night night. 50, 40. Oh, so like some dumb bro shit. Okay, cool. Cool, 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 cool. 30, 20. I'm sorry, I'm a little overwhelmed by what you just said. 10. Hence being poked in the rear uh, as a man in the middle of the aisle. Climb now. Given the context that you've given me, this does not sound like a good plan. Clear of conflict. I'm a big fan personally, so I know all about this podcast. But you haven't heard all the stories. No, I hope not because I look forward to hearing new ones all the time. So I'm Shannon Baker. I'm the host and you're the co-host. Yes. My name is Mary Hall. <laughs> and if you want to see pictures of the events and the and enhance your experience, you should follow me on Instagram and Twitter, both at AluminumTube. Email me your ideas and your feedback at AluminumTubePodcast at gmail.com. I highly recommend following the Instagram. It truly very adds helpful. to the it's experience. It's very helpful. Right. I love as I'm listening to go to Instagram and look at it as soon as you bring it up. So I'm. it's like I'm there with you to... Each episode is like a highlight. Yes. So that you can just watch straight through it. Yeah. And so then it, you post them when they on their release day. Right. Which is always nice. Right. So you don't... I don't want to spoil the story. Yeah. Yeah. So my co-host, as you know, she's already said, is Mary Hall. And you've been on four shows. You've been on four times before this show. Not in a while, though. It hasn't been. It has been a while. Um, we know that you're not an aviation expert. We know no. that. Becoming but, uh, one every more and more every time I listen to this podcast. Right. But I also like to point out, and we already did kind of that, we're both in the process of revamping the social media, the Instagram, to make it a little more user-friendly. And I, thanks for your help on that. That's, yeah. Just I do it's my best. Helpful. I only do Instagram as social media, but I do consider myself pretty good at it. I do the Twitter. The Twitter. But I only post <laughs> the Instagram to the Twitter. Got it. So... It, I basically just do Instagram. But you haven't been on since September. Wow, yeah. It's been a while. It's been sept since September. Oh, Aaron's episodes were really good. If if you start anywhere, personally, I always tell people to either start with my first episode we recorded, which, which was... Which is episode two. So funny. No death. So it's a good intro for people to start. Or Aaron's episode with... Eastern 401. Yes. Right. Because the twist ending on that one, like you think the story's over and then there's 20 more minutes of the podcast that's and right. it goes insane. I was there listening to it live and I was still gasping when I listened to it after it was released. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. That Of course, did, that I was, told you I'm a fan. Yeah, it was it was uh it was it was quite a ride. So you've already said you've been on, so you know how I run this thing. I tell a little bit about the airplane and then the company and then the crew and we talk about the event and then we talk about what's changed since and how things are today. 
And hopefully things have changed. Right. Because the stories tend to be... Sometimes they haven't, but... Accidents, as you yeah. said. On the newer ones, you know, some things haven't changed yet. So aviation is a work in progress. So are you ready to get started? I'm so ready. I've been looking forward to this all day. So I'm going to start with the airplane and then we'll get to the date later. Okay. I just decided to shake it up a little. The 747. I know that plane. Yeah. The 747 is a large four-engine jet built by Boeing. Yeah. The 747 began production in 1969 and it started with the Dash 100 mm-hmm. variant. 69. <laughs> Sorry. She's like a 12-year-old. Okay. It started with the Dash 100 version in 1969. And then the variant we're going to talk about today, though, is specifically the Dash 200F variant. What makes it that? F means freighter. Oh, okay. So no seats. Correct. Got and it. And the 200F had a hinged nose door. So the nose flipped up. Por qué? I'll let you see a picture in a second. And, and why? it could also be fitted with an optional um, side cargo door. It has a cargo capacity of 210,000 pounds, which is a lot. That is a lot. And this variant had a max operating weight of around 830,000 pounds, and that's 378,000 kilograms. That's intense. It's a lot. It's a big airplane. You see? That is such a funny nose. The nose flips up. Is that to load and unload? That's to load and unload. It can also have a side cargo door. I've never seen that ever. That'll be posted to the Instagram. If you haven't followed the Instagram, it's worth it for this photo. It's it's a weird looking plane. Yeah. It's cool. So it's the 747, uh, which looks like this. You can see the the next one down. I like it in silver. If I was buying that, I'd buy the silver one. Well, they don't make it anymore. So let's finish talking about that. Okay. The 747-200 that we're talking about entered service in 1972 with Lufthansa and eventually, there were 393 of the 747-200s produced, but only 73 only 73 of those were freighters. Okay. How so many only s- 73 of the flip-nose freighters. And we're talking about a freighter one today? Yeah, we're talking about okay. a freighter. Production for this variant ended in 1991. Okay. The latest variant being the 747-8. Mm-hmm. The 747 is still operated by a few companies like British Airways and Lufthansa, mm-hmm. among others. We've covered this in a previous episode, but it's really an iconic airplane. It's often often referred to as the whale because of its size, yeah. because of its body shape and its sheer size. Uh, the largest variants weigh around a million pounds when fully loaded. Jeez. Yeah, so they're really oh huge. United Airlines was the last U.S. carrier to operate the aircraft in passenger service, uh-huh. but a number of U.S. freight carriers, including Atlas Air, and Ooh. remember we went to the, we did an Atlas episode. Yes, <laughs> they still operate the F version. Atlas okay. Air is the largest operator of the 747 in the world, mm-hmm. and most notably, of course, the most notable 747 is of course Air Force One. And training for Air Force One pilots are actually is actually provided by Atlas Air. Are we okay with? Our, at least our current president and maybe past ones being tr- flown around by people trained at Atlas Air? I don't... That's a good question. Because from what... I remember my episode, and maybe I need to re-listen to it. Those guys did not receive the best training. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I think that may be a fair assessment. So so do you have any questions so far? So we showed the pictures. There's the 747-200 cargo with the flip-up nose. They're very cool looking. Very big. They have four very engines. Big. Yes, four engines, right? So the company we're but what the company we're talking about today is Japan Airlines. And I've covered okay. Japan Airlines in a, a, a separate one with Kent Sarf, actually. So I've covered this company before, but we're gonna I'll just recap. Okay. If, Please. If, if I haven't listened didn't. to the episodes with him in a minute. And this will be episode twenty. So there are a it's lot It's been a while it has since been a while. we've heard from Kent. 
So let's talk about the company. Japan Airlines is an international airline. It's Japan's flag carrier. And flag meaning it's the official international carrier of the company. Okay. It, they're headquartered in Tokyo. That makes Japan sense. Airlines, which I'm going to call JAL from now on, was established Japan in... Japan 19- Airline. Yeah. Got it. JAL. <laughs> JAL was established in 1951 and became the National Airline of Japan in 1953. They're the sixth largest Do airline in the world. Do we have a national airline? Yeah. So the United States doesn't have, a, doesn't have an official flag carrier. We just never, as a country, we never adopted an official flag carrier okay we just accepted that there were going to be several yeah when we fly international we call them flag operations okay there is no official carrier yeah because i hear when you talk about other countries it's a lot of the time it is like such and such country name then air after it right british airways Yes, exactly. Air Canada. Yes. But in the United States, we don't have... American would be close, right? Or United would be close. But we don't... But we just don't do the official carrier. Got it. In the United States. Just a random question. Yeah. No, no problem at all. So they're the sixth largest airline in the world by passengers carried. Their main hub is Tokyo's Narita and Haneda airports. So there are two big airports in Tokyo, Mm -hmm. Narita and Haneda, as well as Osaka International. Those are their, like, hubs. Okay. They have a cargo division. It's called JAL Cargo. They also have what a, a creative name. Right, exactly. <laughs> they also have a few express carriers. Uh-huh. Like, guess what? JAL Express. These guys. <laughs> I mean, the Japanese are... Efficient. Efficient. There you go. Thank you. Clear. They fly international and domestic passenger operation. They also fly cargo services. 220 destinations, 35 countries worldwide. They have a fleet of 279 airplanes. They are part of the One World Airline Alliance Network that was started by Delta. So they're affiliated with Delta Airlines. I did not know that was a thing either. The person that Delta farms out their Jap- mm-hmm. Japan stuff to. There's like an international like group of Yeah, airlines? they kind of get around. They kind of... So airlines do an, a, a network. Where if you buy a ticket to, let's say, you buy a ticket to France and you buy it on Delta, Mm -hmm. you may ride an airplane to Atlanta, but the airplane that takes you to France may be Air France. Okay. So that's their network. That's their one world network. United so you Airlines don't have does to like buy a bunch of tickets on correct. different airlines. Like, oh, I got to get a ticket I gotta from, get a Atlanta ticket from Atlanta to, to England to Paris and then or whatever. Get yeah. on a different airline once I'm and in buy a Europe. Different ticket, right? They work got together. It. They don't. That's convenient. It for really the, is the yeah. world. <laughs> it really is. Okay, so let's talk about the crew. The crew consisted of three pilots. A captain. Okay. He was an ex-fighter pilot, and he had over ten thousand hours of flight experience. That sounds good. There was a first officer but on board. That's a tiny plane, a fighter plane. Yes. But it's but it's it's worth noting that he was an ex fighter. Take pilot. skill. Yes, and you'll see why it why it applies. Okay, it's worth noting that he was an ex fighter pilot. There was a first officer on the airplane. Mm-hmm. There was a flight engineer. So this is the time where we still needed a flight engineer. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Flight engineers stopped really in the mid two thousands. Yeah, with the but older technology that right. There were no other pilots on the airplane. It was cargo, and it was being operated as a cargo flight. Was it just a short flight? So there were no other crew. It was. It was kind of a long flight, but they made an intermediate stop. Okay. Be- so they kind of like stopped overnight. Okay. So that's it. We're not okay. going to talk about crew names today. This That's just what we're going to do. Okay, cool. Do you have any questions? All dudes, I assume. Yes, three guys. My anxiety is going to be so much less because there's not a passenger load. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, right. If anything did happen, you're right. There would only be three people on board. But we're going to see what happens. Okay. Okay. Don't I'm jump excited. ahead. 
I'm not jumping ahead. I'm just taking in what you've told me. <laughs> okay, the date. November 16th, 1986. Oh, okay. Okay. What was going on in 86? I was in the 10. World? Do you even remember? Probably riding a bike. <laughs> I was riding my bike, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, in the world, not in your own personal life. Okay. Reagan was president. I know that. Okay. I know that. I know Were Ronald Reagan was president. Were there any wars or anything happening? Uh, the Cold War was on. Okay. I'm That's- just trying to like... The, that's, those two put things, myself in the time. Those two things are important. We're, we'll, we'll circle back to those. Okay, okay. Okay. So let's talk about the flight. JAL 1628 was en route from Paris to Narita International. So okay. that's from Europe all the way over to Tokyo. That is a 12-hour time change. Yeah, that's rough. Right. So they're flying from Paris to Narita with a cargo of French Beaujolais wine. Ew. Okay. I had to look up Beaujolais. Andre the Giant. That's his favorite wine. I mean, I'm going to tell you why in just a second. So I was like, okay, what's Beaujolais wine? Because when I do these podcasts, I kind of dig in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to get all the information. So Beaujolais wine tends to be very light-bodied red wine yep. with relatively high amounts of acidity and low tannins. Okay. Only about 1% of the wine that is produced in the Beaujolais region of France is white wine. So they were flying a lot of good red wine. Mm. My personal favorite. You and Andre the Giant. Apparently. <laughs> This flight was not routine. It came into the system in early October. The captain was senior enough to pick up the trip because it was unique and he wanted it. The crew was excited to do the flight because it went to some places that they'd never been before. Oh, nice. On this cargo trip, the plane made an overnight stop in Iceland. Yeah. Continued the next day, November 17th, Mm -hmm. 1986. The plane took off from Reykjavik, which is the capital of Iceland. Yeah. Heading north-northwest, because that's the shortest way to get to Tokyo from Reykjavik, because the Earth is round. Is it? Are you sure? I have news for all those flat earthers. (laughs) It's round. You can literally see see the curve. (laughs) Yeah. So that routing would take them over very northern Canada, so Arctic Canada, and then down through Alaska and on to Japan. They departed in the afternoon, and soon they were flying at night. The moon was out over Greenland, But as the plane reached a reporting point far northwest Canada called Shingle Point, the sky ahead was dark except for the glow of the sun in the distance. Okay, so it's... Because they're kind of chasing the sun. They're chasing the sun. So the sun is going down. They're kind of chasing it. So they can see the glow of the sun in the distance. The plane reported its position to Edmonton Control. Edmonton is a city in Canada. And continued across the Canada-Alaska border. Yeah, because you got to check in. And now they're going to cross over from Arctic Canada, from Polar Canada. Okay. Over, and they're going to fly over Alaska. Do you have to check in, like, when with every country that you fly typically, over? Typically, typically because they're about to cross from Canada into the United States. Understood. Okay? Although this wasn't a, r- a routine flight, we said, you know, it came into the system. It was a special cargo flight. Yes. Flying Beaujolais wine. As I said before, it wasn't supposed to be a newsworthy event, but it turned out that way. Just carrying a bunch of wine into Japan isn't newsworthy enough? <laughs> Apparently not. 11 minutes past 5 p.m. local 1700. time. 1700. That's right. 1711 mm-hmm. local time in Anchorage. Anchorage time. JAL 1628 was cruising at 35,000 feet and they were going about 550 miles per hour. That's basically what jets do. Yeah. It's normal stuff. I feel like I hear 35,000 feet in every single one of these stories. Pretty much, yeah. At that time, the Boeing 747 freighter was being operated on autopilot again because... Typical. Yep. The sky to the right had an afterglow of sunset, so the sun was below the horizon, but ahead and to the left... It was dark. Okay, because the sun's the setting. Yeah, because yeah, the world's round, because it's setting. Anchorage Center called the plane 
just about two minutes before this time to report that JAL-1628 was in radar contact, meaning that Anchorage could see the airplane on its radar. Okay. The controller had asked the airplane to head directly to a point called Talkeetna, mm-hmm. and that was named after a small Alaska town that was nearby. Why would they tell them to change their So route? they went, so as they crossed the border, Alaska just said, hey, go to this point and then continue on your route. Just it like take be a slight diversion because you might be flying over one of our airports or something. Something like that. Or maybe, hey, there's nobody out there, so have a shortcut. Oh, okay. They just Looking said, hey, out. we see you. No big deal. Go to this point. The Coolness. co-pilot, so the co-pilot, the first officer, he's handling the radios. He acknowledges the controller request. The captain programs the flight management computer and they turn slightly to the left. Not a big deal. Now cool. they're going to that point. As suggested. Right. So it was during this turn that the captain, of course, he's sitting on the left side of the cockpit. He sees some lights out of his side window. Right. After the 747 rolls level, he observes the lights of what looked like two aircraft about 30 degrees to his left. So, you know, about his 10 o'clock position, maybe 11 o'clock position, kind of right out there on his left. That's They're moving. not untypical, right? Yeah, no. He, th- th- it's, it's no cause for alarm. They're in front of him. They're I've about seen two- airplanes outside the window. Exactly. They're in front of him about 2,000 feet below him. Again, below is fine. Totally good. <laughs> But they're moving in exactly the same direction at the same speed that the 747 is moving. Plenty of separation, legal separation, not a problem. After watching them for a short time, the captain decided that the lights were of two fighter jets. Which he would be familiar with because he was a fighter pilot. pilot. It's worth noting that they were somewhat close to Eisen Air Force Base, which is in Alaskan airspace. Alaskan airspace borders the Soviet Union. So it made sense that the area would have been patrolled by Air Force jets. Remember that we're in the final years of the Cold War. Yeah. And it is not entirely unexpected for the US or Russia to, to be right. flying along its borders. And that might also be why they told them to divert slightly is like, oh, you're going to fly over this Air Force base. Maybe you should like right. go around. Right, turn you a little bit or whatever. So they are not worried about you and you don't have to worry about them. So the captain, he decides to just ignore the lights. They seem to be in a safe position and nothing is unusual. And they can radio each other. Right. Could just be like, hey, what are y'all doing? And they're like, hey, we got some wine. You want some? Let's party. (laughs) Let's party. (laughs) But then after a few minutes, the captain realized that the aircraft had not changed their apparent position relative to his aircraft. In other words, they're really just closely flying along with him. And Which they're just right they, out the window, just flying along with you've, them. It's almost like these guys are literally monitoring them. Yes. They're just cruising along. Yeah. It, it happens. Like you said, it's a, yep. it's a Cold War, and we're going to suspect just about anything. But I don't understand why they would be so worried if the pilots actually like checked in like they're supposed to. The captain, quote, It was about seven or so minutes since we began paying attention to the lights. When, when most unexpectedly, two spaceships stopped in front of our face, shooting what? off lights. The what? inside <laughs> cockpit shined brightly, and I felt warm in the face. In later testi- I don't know what to say. In later testimony, the captain would make a sketch of what he saw. It consisted of two of vertical rows of lights and circles, symmetrically spaced, and he says that it appeared directly in front of the aircraft, and that no known aircraft would have had this configuration then or now, and this is what he drew. I'm going to show you a picture, and I'll post it on Instagram. <gasps> you know the show lights that come up behind at the end of Chicago? Like yeah. the full wall of 
bulbs. Right. It's like two full walls of bulbs, but then like with the middle section blacked out. Yeah. That is a crazy turn. Did the aliens want to party too? So in sworn testimony. <laughs> they wanted some boule <laughs> So in sworn testimony, the captain speculated that the quote, spaceship, and I'm making air quotes, <gasps> had fired rockets or jets to stop the inertia of their high-speed maneuver. Remember, they had come from the left side and then gone directly wait, whoa, in whoa, front whoa, of wait, the airplane. Wait, 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 wait. So these were the quote-unquote fighter jets? Yes, they were sitting over here, and then they just suddenly moved in front of the airplane, and then they fired, they fired rockets that yeah. he says to stop their inertia right. once they had moved in front. See, and I could thought feel these the warmth had just in like face. come out of nowhere and the fighter jet pilots were still there. No, they're not there. They, they just moved quickly. So these things that he saw have been following him for seven, seven minutes, minutes so far. And then it just comes up in, in your face and is like, hello. Exactly. So after the maneuver from the left of the airplane to the front of the airplane, he said the ships appeared as if they were stopped in one place in front <gasps> of the 747. And at this time, one, quote, ship was above the other. Craziness. Five seconds later, the heat and brightness stopped and became a small circle of lights as they began to fly level and at the same speed, but directly in front of the 747. I don't, I'm like, my jaws just dropped. I'm just like, I don't know what to say. Okay, the captain. They're just like hovering there and then the lights change. They're just directly in front of them. And basically, so the captain thinks that he's looking into the engines of the airplane in front of them. He thinks they're flying directly in front of them along with Can a with fighter them. pilot make that kind of maneuver? No. No airplane that, that he knows of or that we really have today ever had that configuration hmm. or could have made the maneuver like that. Okay. The captain also said, however, the center area of the, quote, airplane in front of us where below an engine might be might be was like invisible like you said like a black line Mm -hmm. he saw an occasional stream of lights like a charcoal fire Hmm. moving from right to left and then from left to right but the shape was square and it was flying 500 to a thousand feet in front of the 747 that's not very far no especially going 500 or so miles an hour and they're flying at the same altitude the same speed and he says it they looked about to be the size of a smaller jetliner but they had numerous exhaust pipes. So that's what we saw in the picture. Okay. So we think that this is potentially the back. The back. Huh. I am so intrigued. (laughs) But at this time, this startling appearance, the pilots reported that they did not feel threatened or in danger because the spaceship, what they deemed as a spaceship, had moved so suddenly. They said they probably would have felt more in danger and had been prepared to like make an evasive maneuver if the spaceship was shaking or unable to stop or had varied its distance between the 747. Basically, they said it was so stable that they just looked and they didn't feel afraid. They just felt like, what the heck is that? I mean, it moves so quickly. Right. You're in shock, probably, especially if you've never seen that before or don't know of any plane that could do that and you're we're getting right there the pilots trying then, to figure out what the fuck's going on then the pilots realized that they were not looking at something that they recognized saying that they thought wow <laughs> sorry that it would be impossible for any man-made machine to make a sudden appearance like that and for the craft to move like that oh my god so after this, sorry i'm just like <laughs> so after this sudden appearance in front of the jets, the lights moved in formation with the jet for about another five minutes. 
They swayed just back and forth, ahead of them. but just sat slightly ahead of them. <gasps> then they abruptly rearranged their orientation from being one above the other to being side by side. Which is like how in the photo you showed me, it's them side by side. So they started Correct. out. They started out vertically, each other. and then they moved to side by side. The first officer compared the numerous lights or flames to Christmas lights with a salmon color, and he said, "I remember red or orange and white and weak green kind of blinking." He said hmm. the intensity wasn't constant, but rather it pulsated, and that the lights tended to sway in unison back and forth, kind of as if they were a formation of two aircraft side by side. Yeah. So he's saying that they look like two separate airplanes. But these are none of these colors are anything that we as a pilot right. would recognize. And those don't look like anything. And they don't move like it's just a block of just literally some blocks. a square. It kind of is like related to exhaust. Yeah. Almost like in like, um a cartoon how it's just like flame coming out. Right, exactly. After discussing the situation over the next minute or so, the pilots decided to call Anchorage Center and ask them about the lights. Yeah. Okay, so I don't like to use recordings. I'm going to read and you're going to read. <gasps> I get to act? Yes, you do. So I'm you're going to be you're going to be JAL 1628. Okay. I'm going to be Anchorage Center. Got it. Okay. I'm in the air, you're on the ground. Right. Printed out me, me a nice little transcript. Thank you. Okay, so I'm ready to get started when you are. Go ahead, your lines first. Anchorage Center, Japan Air 1628. Uh do you have any traffic uh, 11 o'clock and above? JL1628 Heavy, say again. Do you have any traffic in front of us? Uh, we have in sight uh, two traffic uh, in front of us one mile about. JL1628, Roger, do you have... Can you identify the aircraft? We are not sure, but we have traffic in sight now. JL1628 Heavy, Roger, maintain visual contact with your traffic, and uh, can you say the altitude of the traffic? Almost the same altitude. JL1628 Roger, would you like a higher or lower altitude? Uh, no negative, JAL1628. So then about a minute or so elapsed. And then Anchorage Center tried again to learn the identity of the traffic. Why wouldn't they change their altitude? I think they just chose not to. I'm not really sure. I wasn't, I don't want to like Monday morning quarterback and I'm not exactly sure. Okay. I'm just curious because Anchorage Center asked if they, because I assume they asked because they have to check to see if there's anything above them or below them. So Anchorage Center calls JAL 1628. JAL 1628 heavy. See if you are able to identify the type of aircraft and see if you can tell whether it's military or civilian. JAL 1628. We cannot identify the type, but we can see navigation lights and strobe lights. Uh, Roger, sir. Say the color of the strobe and beacon lights. The color is uh, white and yellow, I think. White and yellow. Thank you. So the reference to the navigation and strobe lights conflicts somewhat with the description later given of multiple pulsating lights. It is a little unfortunate that the crew was not terribly fluent in English, so they're Japanese. And the language of air travel is English. English, correct. Because of a lot of the words on the Anchorage control tape are barely distinguishable, hmm. so it, it can be hard. I suspect that the poor description of the colors, like white and yellow, was a result of the co-pilot not knowing nuanced English words for the actual yeah. color. They don't technically have to learn English. They just have to understand all of the English. Aviation a stuff. In aviation, yes. Right. The co-pilot is somewhat linguistically forced to use the closest words that he knows. So mm. white and yellow. Yes. 
and to this point in the subsequent whereas like i'm sure when you said salmon that was a translation that was a translation perfect and to this point in the subsequent interviews with a translator the colors mentioned were yellow amber salmon and Mm. green the colors yellow and amber are not conventional colors for aircraft lighting and they may have been more consistent with like a rocket exhaust as we said which is what the captain compared them to yeah yeah so a little linguistic miscommunication issue there right not that big of a deal but it's worth talking about well this is a weird experience and interaction that they have to describe so it wouldn't be something they were prepared for it doesn't fall into the normal scope yeah especially since like you said that yellow what and white weren't traditional airline colors no no, they're not they're not normal navigation light colors so by this time the controller and other anchorage center officials were aware that the jal had traffic and the watch supervisor then contacted the air force controllers so we know that they took it seriously can they see the traffic on the radar i say this because back in those days the radar operators were very alert to any intrusions by russian aircraft right because hence they contacted the air force Mm -hmm. right so if an airliner says hey i have traffic and they can't identify it they're going to call the air force and be like hey guys we may have an issue right that's good that they took it seriously. Would JAL be able to radio the traffic? Could they have been like, "Hello, hi"? They like, could have tried, but that they would require that would require. They'd have that, to be on the same. They'd have frequency. to be on the same frequencies. Yeah. And if it was a Russian aircraft, they probably wouldn't be on the same frequencies because they don't want to give themselves away. Correct. Understood. Yeah. So after flying in the configurations we talked about, side by side and above each other, Mm -hmm. the airplanes climbed a little bit. They turned a little bit to the left. And the captain says he didn't tell Anchorage Center that. He says, quote, honestly, we were simply breathtaking. So he's just sitting there watching them and he's not telling Anchorage everything they do. He's just like, whoa, these things are moving around. And I'm sure they're still moving in a way that is so unfamiliar. Unusual and unfamiliar to him. That they're just trying to figure it out for themselves. Right. They're trying to figure out for themselves. So they can they relay can't it. like just the, unless they just leave an open mic and literally speak their thoughts. They can't like. They're decent English speakers, but they still there's still a language barrier. Okay. The first officer quote: I think I saw it for about ten minutes after I sighted it the first time. The reason is because the captain wanted to take pictures. His hmm. camera bag was placed behind his seat, and I handed him the camera, but he could not take pictures. So I Why? placed his camera bag back again. Why? Would- I, I thought it was a little weird too, right? So this is a little weird. But when asked by investigators later why the captain couldn't take pictures, the first officer said, quote, well, his camera is Alpha 7000 with, with film ASA 100. He could not operate it well. I mean, the operating procedure of the camera was not well understood. So it was like maybe he just got this camera and he... He got a fancy camera. And, and he, he didn't, didn't know how to, know use, how it. to use it. <laughs> yeah. But I, Maybe he got it as a gift like that week or something. And it, someone was like, oh, you're going to Iceland. Go take pictures right, for and, me. And that's honestly because they were going to Paris. He probably bought the camera for that. And then he's like, oh, the I used up all the film. I don't know how to change it. <laughs> he's, it look, could have been anything. Let's see what the captain says. The captain recalled the attempt at for photographing the lights as follows. Quote, I thought perhaps it was one of those things called UFO, and taking a photo oh might help to identify the object later. 
I had ASA 100 film in my camera, but the lens kept adjusting and could not get focus. Mm. I changed autofocus to manual focus, pressed the shutter, but this time the shutter would not close. Mm. Then our aircraft began to vibrate, (gasps) and I gave up taking a photo. I placed the camera back in the camera bag and concentrated on observing the lights. Did it stop vibrating when he put the camera away? Is that... Yes. Well, I'm saying, like, maybe they have some sort of power, a beam... Because you can like release waves that mess with technology. Definitely. So yeah. <laughs> I so I kind of understand what's going on here. So I know what the, the captain is talking about because I've been an am- amateur photographer for a long time. So basically what he's saying is you have to adjust the shutter speed and the lens speed and mm. everything because this is a manual camera. Manual fancy camera. Right. From the 80s. If you're not good at it, you're not going to be able to operate it in a pinch. Right. So it could have potentially just looked like two balls of like unfocused light. Basically, that's what... And, and that's not I helpful note that also, for anything but the color. I, I want to note that also he's using what's called ASA 100 film, what we would now call ISO 100 film. It's for portraits and for daylight photos. Oh, Even I Even if he knew how to operate it, it may have been impossible for him to actually get a good image in that low light. Yeah. But I can't say why the shutter wouldn't close. That's that is unusual. Weird. So that's certainly an anomaly. So like maybe it was some camera issues and maybe also potentially being blocked. Right. We don't know. That is so anyway, strange. Anyway, let's, let's move on back to the, the story. the plane's working. But then it started vibrating. And then it stopped. Then, I'm so confused. Then the controllers started asking about the clouds and the flight conditions because they wanted to like get a whole picture of what was going on. Okay. But the first officer says the radio communications, both in transmitting and receiving, were extremely difficult while the little ships came close to them. And it often interfered with mm. communications. So if you'd heard me, so if you listened back, he says, Anchorage Center says, say again. JL1628, say again. It's staticky. And maybe it's because there's some sort of... Well, the captain later called the interference a type of jamming, but that's purely conjecture on the captain's part. Was that something that could be done technologically in that time? Yes. Okay. Definitely. So a few minutes later, you'll have to pick up your script again, because a few minutes later, (gasps) JAL called Anchorage back. And now the target uh, traffic is extinguished. We cannot see it now. Uh, JL1628, Roger, and I'm not receiving any radar replies. So they were on the radar, and they were trying to radio them, and they went. They're reply. looking for them on the radar. And they don't see them. They don't them. see them. About this Eek. time, the Anchorage controller decided to find out if the Air Force had anything on its radar. So they called on the phone. Do they have a stronger radar or something? The Air Force has all kinds of technology that the air traffic control doesn't have. That makes have. sense, because they have UFOs in uh, Area 51. <laughs> and they also uh, look for stealth technology and stuff. And stealth yeah. technology at this time was just becoming a thing. Okay. okay. So Anchorage calls the Air Force on the phone, the Air Force controllers, to see if they showed anything unusual. It was now about 15 minutes since the crew had first seen the lights traveling along with the plane. This is such a long time to see it is. this. It's a long time. About six or seven minutes since the ships had appeared abruptly in front of the airplane. And then, you know, and then after, and then this was a minute or so after the ships had kind of like gone off and left. Can they still see them? They're... No, they said no, they we said cannot the l- see it traffic now. is extinguished. We cannot see it now. So it's about a minute so since it could have it was gone, gone into stealth mode, like you said. They're just gone. The lights are just gone. Mm. Up to this time, Anchorage had not acknowledged the detection of anything on its radar. The captain decided that he was going to start looking around for himself. 
So he goes down to the weather radar. Oh, they have a radar on they the They have plane. weather radar on board. It's designed to see things like rain, but okay. it can see other aircraft. However, other aircraft are very small and they move very quickly and they're just a red dot. Okay? Not as detailed or fancy as what would no, be No, but on you the can ground. see them on a weather radar. You can see them. The captain goes to the weather radar and although it wasn't designed to do this, there he sees something on the screen. Crazy. A large green and round object had appeared at about seven or eight miles ahead of them and they called Anchorage Center to report it. You said they were just, airplanes were just little red dots, but this is a green one? Yeah. On the radar? Yep. Why? <laughs> so Why? An- so I Anchorage have so Center, many So Anchorage Center calls JAL. Mm-hmm. JAL 1628, do you have, do you still have visual contact with the traffic? Affirmative. Also, we radar contact. JL-1628 Heavy, Roger. Sir, I'm picking up a hit on the radar approximately five miles in trail of your six o'clock position. Do you concur? So let me talk about what he just said. He said that he sees an airplane or a radar signature five miles behind them. Not in front of them, behind them. But we've just seen the... Yeah. So the maybe radar the, is looking in front, and the captain yeah. can see something in front, six or seven miles in front. And the and people now on the, the ground, people on the ground see. can see behind the JAL, eee. and there's something behind the JAL. So that's behind the airplane. It was Sorry. kind of a silly thing for the controller to say, "Can you see it?" Because it's directly behind the airplane. The, the pilots can't see back there. There's no right. way they can see it. But we know that there were two forms. Yes. So two ships. They can't see it, but it's important to note that. We Anchorage and the Air Force could see an object other than the 747. And JAL 1628 says... Uh, negative uh, 11 o'clock, uh, 8 miles, uh, same level. Over. So now you're kind of getting an idea. Anchorage and the Air Force can see something behind the 747. The 747 is using radar and can see something 8 miles in front of them. So the flight engineer also recalled seeing on the radar screen at about 10 miles something that looked like a stream elongated and arced. He didn't think it was the same thing that they just seen from the cockpit, but th- he didn't know what it was. So they turned the radar, an they turned arc? the cockpit, yeah, like an arc shape. Of light. An arc shape on the radar. So a curve, a round curve. I'm so confused. <laughs> There's a large like arc-shaped thing out in front of them. Mm-hmm. And it's green. They see that they in person or on yeah, the radar? Yeah, they see it on the radar screen. They don't see it in person yet. Okay. But the people on the ground can see something behind them. They don't know what it is. Nobody knows what any of this stuff is. Yeah. So the crew turns the cockpit lights all the way down, all the way as low as they can get it. They're hiding in plain sight. The crew searches the horizon in the direction of the radar return, and they see a very... Oh, they darkened it so they, they could see better. They darkened it so they can see got better. It, got it. And they see a very dim blurry white light out in front of them and they describe it as what would look like a fluorescent light bar Mm. in the sky and this would later be deemed quote the mothership no what (laughs) oh my god you're leaving me to pee right now after that you left me on such a cliff what am i supposed to do here by myself now i'm just i'm not confused by what's happening i'm I'm like with the pilots. I'm like confused at like what it is. So a few hours after the incident, the captain made a sketch and I don't have the sketch, but I'm going to describe it. The captain made a sketch showing a filled circle at the center of a thick arc. Okay. And, and that's oh. what he what he saw about the radar image. Almost like Saturn. 
Yes, exactly. In commenting on the radar image, the captain pointed out that normally it appears red when an aircraft radar catches another aircraft. Whereas green. green is usually the, the color fuck? of a weak weather target, like a cloud or like a little bit of rain. Oh. The fact that the echo was green on the screen led the captain to question the material of the quote mothership. This is because so a solid weird. object would appear red, right? not green. <gasps> green would mean that some radar is passing through, through it, it, not all of it's reflecting. <gasps> That's crazy. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure it out. They can't figure it out either. But let's look at this for a second through the eyes of a skeptic. You could speculate that the radar signature could be classified as stealth. Okay. And that might be why radar is passing through it. Right. Because it's it's not passing through it. It's actually bouncing radar waves away. Mm. So only some of it is coming back. So that would mean a weak return signal ships and things that wanted to go stealth a way to disguise themselves on radar if they couldn't fully go away would be oh it's just a cloud a cloud but this radar target remained on the screen for several minutes the captain says quote while we were communicating with anchorage center the two pale lights gradually moved to the left side and to the left diagonally back behind us 30 degrees as if they understood our conversation wait what so he's saying that the lights out in front while they're talking to while they're talking in the cockpit to each other. Yeah. And while they're talking to Anchorage, he says the lights moved from out in front of them to the left to back behind them as if they had understood or been able to hear what the co- pilots were saying in the cockpit. My eyes are so big right now. <laughs> so the That's quote, so creepy. <laughs> so the quote mothership, the lights are now sort of falling back to the left. For the pilots of the 747 from their perspective. Because maybe the mothership's like, oh, we don't want them to see us. We didn't think they could see us. Let's right. Go, and we can hear them talk about us. Let's go hide. The Air Force <laughs> and Anchorage Center are starting to have their own radar images. Oh, yeah? The Air Force was getting what's called a primary return, which means that they can see the reflection of the object, be it a plane or whatever, but they're not getting a transponder signal. And we've talked about transponders before. Transponders are radio beacon inside the aircraft that tells the radar specifically where it it is. Right. It's it's what somebody would expect from an airplane that was trying to hide or some other kind of unidentified flying object. I was waiting for you to say those words. (laughs) So I'm going to read both parts of what the Air Force controllers talk to Anchorage about, Okay. Okay. The Air Force controller says, I don't know if it's erroneous or whatever, but, and then just a big pause. And then Anchorage says, negative, it's not, a, it's not erroneous. I want you to keep a good track on there. If you pick up a transponder signal, and please verify you do not have any military aircraft oper- operating in that area. And then the Air Force controller says, we do not have anybody up there right now. Can you give me the position of the primary you're receiving? And Anchorage says... I'm picking up a primary target, but it's right in front of JAL-1628. So now the return that they'd had behind is now in front of the JAL. But this is after we've the mothership, quote-unquote, has been This is during the, the time that it's moving. Oh, okay, understood. This is like simultaneously. They're talking, got it, got it. and it's like kind of moving around okay. them, right? This is insane. And the Air Force replies, okay, I've got him about eight miles in front of the JAL. 
he's got traffic at the same altitude. The target is in front of JAL sixteen twenty eight. That's unknown to us. That's what the Air Force says. So they don't they don't know what it is. They nope. don't have a ship up there. A minute later, the Air Force calls back Anchorage and says, "Okay, we've lost contact with it now." And Anchorage says, "Okay, we're not working that aircraft," M- meaning that they're not like talking to him, right? Yeah, it's it's just like what it's a big question, right? He says, we're not working that aircraft. Japan Airlines still has visual contact, only he can't identify the aircraft. Because it's not of this earth. And the Air Force controller says, okay, I'm still not, I, we lost contact on him. I don't see anything at all. So basically, this large target was behind them. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where Anchorage saw them, even mm-hmm. though the JAL crew saw it in front of them. And then the Anchorage caught up and saw that in front of them, and the U.S. Air Force also saw it in front of them. And now while we're talking, the mothership is moving back to the left of the airplane and kind of 30 degrees behind. And we know that this, whatever it is, can maneuver like crazy. Yeah, so it's just kind of floating around, and also it seems to be moving from one point to the other like pretty quickly. So yeah. basically the large... And like staying in the same... Like hovering once it's there almost. Right. And then suddenly at the end of that last conversation, it just disappears. No. Uh. You can't... Okay. <laughs> this is the problem. You can't make a radar signature go away. So even if it was a stealth airplane, it would continue to look like a cloud. Like we right. said, it's going to bounce the radar away, which makes it stealth, but it can't just disappear. That does, even that's a, not a thing. even if it was a cloud, a cloud dissipates. It doesn't just disappear. It doesn't just blink out. No, and at I this don't point, want... and at this no. point, at this point, the sun had gone down, and the crew had turned the cockpit lights completely off. So they turned so everything they off, everything so they could see everything well. in low light. The captain quote: "When we arrived above Fairbanks, the lights of the city were extremely bright. We were just above the bright city lights, and we looked back behind us on both sides for the pale white lights that had disappeared. And there was a silhouette of a gigantic spaceship." Mm. The captain is later set later quoted as saying, "All he could think was we must run away." Oh my god, that just gave me chills. <laughs> how do they? Okay, how do they look behind them? First of all, if they are in the plane, you said they could. So they're see. looking back as far as they can see. They're kind of like because the cockpit has like a two hundred and seventy yeah. degree view. So the crew then calls Anchorage Center. And requested a change of course. Because uh, they have to run. They have to run. The captain recalls that it felt like an eternity waiting when actually it was only 16 seconds. Ugh. But Anchorage Center doesn't receive the call. All they hear is static. No. So Anchorage Center says, JAL-1628 Heavy, you're coming in broken. Say again. I cry when like when things get scary. <laughs> I I'm like tearing up right now. So the spaceship is bigger than this giant plane? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. So this is a theme. Anytime there's an encounter, the radio is super staticky and unreliable. During this, it seems like the controller can mostly make out what the JAL is saying, but a lot of it's coming in broken. Okay. So then the next one is your line. Request a uh, deviate uh, uh, from a uh, object uh, request heading to four zero. So you can see that he's like pretty shaken. Yeah, he's freaking out. He's freaking out. Yeah, and Anchorage Center replies: uh, JL sixteen twenty eight Roger, fly heading two four zero. JL sixteen twenty eight heavy deviations approved as necessary for traffic. 
but okay. So they're allowed to deviate to a new. Uh, okay, but I just want to point out that it's worth noting that the controller was not working any other airplanes. The Air Force had already said there were no other airplanes. When it says deviations approved as necessary for traffic, that means they have traffic. So Anchorage Center is like, we don't have any traffic, but he goes, you can deviate as necessary for traffic. He can feel the JAL crew's desperation. Do what you need to do. Because there's no one else in the plane, in the area. There's nobody else in the area. (laughs) Sorry, I read it ahead and I, I just started laughing. It's a... Quite big. Dot dot dot. <laughs> oh my gosh, these poor guys. JL sixteen twenty eight heavy. You're still broken. Say again. It's a very quite big uh plane. JL sixteen twenty eight uh request descent. JL sixteen twenty eight request three one zero. Uh, JL sixteen twenty eight heavy. Your transmissions are broken. Say again. Flight level three one zero. JL-1628, heavy. Descend at pilot discretion. Maintain flight level 310. Leaving 350 to 310. Question, what does it mean when they say JL-1628, heavy? Like heavy. Heavy means that he weighs over 250,000 pounds. Oh, so it's just part of the description of the plane. Yeah. I was just confused why they were saying that. Like, this is a heavy experience. Right. This is real heavy. They say that um, to warn other airplanes that of his wake of his essential weight. Oh, yeah. so there's a reason. There's a reason. Understood. So now the 747 starts descending. And as we said, from 350 to 310, which is 35,000 feet to 31,000 feet. The tracking data shows that the airplane descended from 35,000 feet to 31,000 feet over the next four minutes, reaching the lower altitude when the plane was almost due south of Fairbanks. And Anchorage Center calls back and says, JL-1628 Heavy, do you still have your um, traffic? They're being so nice about it. Uh, still uh, coming uh, uh, right information in uh, formation. JL-1628, understand. So then another minute goes by, and Anchorage Center calls back and says, JL-1628 Heavy, say position of your traffic. Just over Fairbanks. JL-1628 Heavy, understand. Your traffic is over Fairbanks at this time. JL-1628, say altitude of your traffic. Uh, oh, uh, uh, same level and same same position. In other words, it appeared that the traffic had stayed in the same relative position to the aircraft and had descended with the 747. No! (laughs) So Anchorage gets, so at this point, Anchorage gets really curious and decides to try to figure out using the 747 what's following. So Anchorage asks JAL 1628 to turn 360 degrees to the right. So they ask them to do a 360 degree turn. So they can look at it. So the crew can see what's following them. So the pilot but they want to run. <laughs> so the pilot recalls that he did start the circle and he did it with the autopilot on, but it was going so slow. So they're big and heavy. Yeah. And the autopilot doesn't turn that sharp when you're at that high altitude. So the pilot kicks Can he turn it off? He does. He okay. kicks the autopilot off and he starts the turn. And here's what he says. After completing the turn, the captain, quote, We were relieved thinking the object may have left us and we returned to level flight. But when we checked to our rear, the (gasps) object was still there back in the same place. It like, I'm speechless. It It like turned with them. Yes. 
A minute later, it's Anchorage... like, you're not going to be looking us. Exactly. Uh, a minute later, Anchorage again called the U.S. Air Force to confirm that they didn't have any flights in the area again. And so they also called back and, and the Air Force again concer- confirmed. Then they called the 747 back. Okay. How long would it take for the 747 to turn We back? could figure it out, but it would have taken... Um, Less than a minute? 120 Quick seconds. Minute. Two minutes. Two minutes to do that turn. But then something even bigger stays so close on their tail that it turns that as they they're don't turning, even see it. Turns it. with them. That's right. insane. Right. Anchorage calls JAL back and says, "JAL sixteen twenty eight heavy. Does your traffic appear to be staying with you?" It uh disappeared. JAL sixteen twenty eight heavy. Roger. At your discretion, proceed directly to Talkeetna J one twenty four Anchorage. So that's rooting. So the mothership was behind them and to the left before the turn, and it followed them directly. We said this behind them in the turn, like, you're not going to look at me. I'm going to stay directly behind you. Then it reappears briefly behind them when they roll out, and they see it. The USAF calls Anchorage back and tells them, on some other equipment here, we have confirmed there is a flight of two. One is JAL 1628. The other is a large target, but we only have a primary return. They just have a radar picture, but right. no transponder. I'm sorry. This story is so crazy. Okay. I'm like... Anchorage Center says to the USAF, okay, where is... Is he following him? And the Air Force yeah. says... And the Air Force says, it looks like he is. Yes. Oh, my god. And Anchorage Center says, okay, stand by. I mean, what we originally thought this was, or what they thought this could be, is a Russian like aircraft. Yeah, a spy plane or aircraft or whatever. Why would they care about a Japanese cargo ship over Alaska? They wouldn't. Exactly. They wouldn't. <laughs> I didn't think so. So let me say, when they say flight of two, that means that there are There's, two aircrafts yeah. flying in formation or in unison. But the odd thing is that in this case, only one has the transponder on, and that's JAL-1628, Can't... which makes the other aircraft just a, quote, primary target, okay. which means just a radar reflection. JL-1628, Heavy Roger, the military advises that you do have a primary target in trail of yeah. you at this time. Now, remember that he just said... Oh, he said it disappeared. It disappeared, right? He said it disappeared. And then Anchorage Center says, you do have a primary target in trail of you at this time. And then JL-1628 says, uh, say again? And Anchorage Center says, JL-1628, Heavy, military radar advises... They are picking up intermittent primary target behind you in trail. In trail. I say again. Which means like following, right? AL1628 says, I think so. (laughs) These poor guys. While one of the Anchorage Center air traffic controllers is conversing with JAL1628, another one is conversing with the Air Force. Mm -hmm. And that that controller says to the Air Force, the Anchorage Center says, okay, do you want to, do you have anybody you can scramble up there? Or do you want to do that? <laughs> and the USAF controller says, I'll tell you what, we're going to have to talk to the liaison officer about that. So basically the USAF is like going up the chain. They're like, okay. Do we want to Do we want to send a, a jet up there? Yeah. Right. And Anchorage Center says, okay. Because it's starting, this- it's starting to concern Japan Airlines yeah. 1628, um, a 747, because it's still following. Yeah. That's what they said to the Air Force. Even after a 360 degree turn, changing altitudes and everything, it's like very obvious what they're doing. So then the U.S. Air Force says, 
where is this return again? Right behind him or where? Uh, I'm going to talk to my other radar man here. He's got some other equipment watching this aircraft. And then there's a short pause. And he says, okay, we're going to the military desk on this. Yeah. And at this point, the conversation with the U.S. Air Force has ended. And Anchorage Center calls JAL-1628 back and says, JAL-1628, sir, would you like our military to scramble on that traffic? Negative, negative. Okay, so let's talk about that for a second. So the captain recalled the offer in later testimony, and he was asked why he declined it. Right. And he declined it. He's scared, obviously. He declined it also, saying that even an F-15 with the newest technology, he felt that the military shouldn't engage with this mothership because he was fearful not only for himself, but for the pilot of the the F-15. And the F-15 at the time was the newest technology. The captain later cited a case where in January 1948, a pilot flew his fighter to such a high altitude and blacked out while chasing some huge other shiny objects in the sky. So this wasn't the first time they had scrambled jets. So the captain was like, not only am I scared for me, I'm scared for the pilot of the F-15, but I also know I have like previous experience of this guy in 1948 who went chasing UFOs and died. Yeah. So he's like, eh. It's not worth the risk because right now they're, I mean, they're just following them, but nothing negative has happened. Nothing has happened. Even over all of this time. So now- But maybe if- they realized, oh, they're going to go on the attack, then the mothership would have no choice potentially but to go on the defense. Right. And right now they're just hanging out. Yeah. So the 747 goes back on autopilot, rejoins their course. They continue to search for the lights repeatedly, but they never see the lights again. So the entire sighting lasted over 50, (gasps) five zero minutes. No way. 50 minutes, almost an hour. And that is the end of the incident. No, it's not. Well, it's not exactly the end of the incident. There has to be more. There is. A day later at FAA headquarters, the FAA rep briefed the vice admiral of the military, who then watched the whole video. Wait, there's a video? There's a video because it was the video of the radar display. Oh. He watches the video of the radar display and listens to the transcript. It takes over half an hour, right? It's 50 minutes long. Yeah. Then the vice admiral of the military asks everyone not to talk to anybody until they were mm. given the okay, and they prepare an encompassing presentation of the data for a group of government officials the next day. Yeah. That meeting happens. The meeting was attended by representatives of the FBI, the CIA, and Ronald Reagan's scientific study team, among others. Upon completion of the presentation, all those present were told that the incident was secret and this meeting, quote, never took place. According to U.S. government officials, the data represented the first instance of recorded radar data of a UFO, and the government took possession of all the info and classified it. The quotes from the pilots would have been from these classified files? Yes, later later, later interviews. Once it became public. You're going to see the FAA continues on their search to figure out what happened. Yeah. But, but this all became public because of the like um, we're gonna fu- Freedom of Information Act? A little bit. But actually, this is kind of interesting. It's leaked. Really? A guy named John Callahan, he manages to retain a copy of the original video, the pilot's, <gasps> Sneaky bitch. The pilot's <laughs> reports, and the FAA's first report. He also goes and he pulls the radar printers from the computer. He pulls them out of the trash. Oh, that's okay. why you shred shit. <laughs> exactly. After a three-month investigation, 
the FAA formally released their results at a press conference on March 5th, 1987. And this happened in November, right? Yeah. Of the year before. 86, yep. Here, the FAA retracted earlier suggestions that the that their controllers confirmed a UFO. They ascribed it to, quote, a split radar image, which appeared with unfortunate timing. I don't know what a split radar image is. That appeared with unfortunate timing, unquote. They clarified that the FAA did not have enough material to confirm that something was there. And though they were accepting the descriptions by the crew, they were unable to support what they saw. So the FAA just denied. I am frustrated by that slightly because... The government classified it. The FAA continued to do their investigation. And and ultimately, what did they do? They just denied it. They said, we don't have enough evidence. That never happened. That's what they did. There are three guys in there. Why would they lie? Also, 50 minutes. They had no reason to lie. Okay, so the sighting received special attention from the media as a supposed incidence of tracking UFOs on both ground and airborne radar while being observed by experienced airline pilots. Then it was subsequently confirmed by the FAA, although that confirmation was later rescinded. So right, what, because so like what in thoughts? the moment it was confirmed, and then when they were like, oh, we don't want the world to like know about this or worry about this, then we'll deny it and say, oh, we made a mistake. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> I'm frustrated by that slightly. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's talk about other significant UFO sightings by, made by pilots. And maybe this will help. I still cannot believe it was there for 50 minutes. Yes. That's crazy. I wish it had been a passenger plane. <laughs> I wish he, the captain would have just been able to get his camera to work too. Oh, can you imagine? That would have been amazing. There would have been pictures of everything. Absolutely. If we had iPhones. <laughs> oh, I know. But... Mm, Okay. In January of 1987, uh-huh. an Alaska Airlines flight, so Alaska Airlines flight 53, observed a fast-moving object on their onboard weather radar while at 35,000 feet at nearly the same location as JAL 1628 oh, had. The very next day, a military tanker near the same location as both Alaska Airlines flight 53 and JAL 1628 reported a disc-shaped object that was just 50 feet from their aircraft. The object then disappeared out of sight at, quote, hypersonic speed. Okay, come on. Three airplanes within and just a very, within a month, within a month and a half. And the information hadn't been released about the first Correct. one. Correct. They hadn't so finished the investigation. None of these yet. people knew about the other interactions. And they also didn't know where the location was, but they all happened to be at the same location. That's craziness. Okay, but then 2017 happened. In okay. 2017, the, the United States acknowledged that they had established oh. a $22 million advanced aerospace threat identification program that yeah. ran from 2007 to 2012, and it was designed specifically for the identification of ufos i remember the, like when the government and everyone was like oh yeah we know way, we've, um, we've seen ufos forever like just so you know but and then like nobody talked about it yeah also in 2017 the department of defense re- released three videos taken by u.s navy pilots revealing mysterious flying objects and they're taken by u.s navy pilots between 2004 and 2015 hmm. then the u.s navy confirmed that the aerial phenomena observed in the videos remains characterized as unidentified. So I'm my you head. have in 2017 the Navy basically saying, "Hey, here's some UFOs." After the video was released, five Our naval Na- oh, isn't the Navy people like oh they fly the- airplanes. Every military branch has their own like aircraft branch. Learn something new every day. 
So after this video was released, five naval airmen came forward and said that they had regularly seen UFOs that looked like tic-tacs or spinning tops tic-tacs. <laughs> off the eastern seaboard from Virginia to Florida between oh, 2014 weird. and 2015. Here's what they said. They said the objects reached hypersonic speeds and heights of 30,000 feet without any visible engine or exhaust trails. That's crazy. Yeah. Aliens uh, changed their design in the Maybe. 30 years because... From like we the saw rockets the or whatever we saw. It and, looked like rockets, yeah. yeah. But then the mothership kind of looked like a disc as well. And so, so. they learned how to make that technology smaller. So like a, how we had big phones and now we have small phones. So a 10-year veteran naval pilot, Lieutenant Ryan Graves, said he saw the, these objects on nearly a daily basis. No fucking way. Often hanging out in the same place for around 12 hours at a time. In one of I'm these, not okay right now. <laughs> in one of these cases, a naval pilot also recalls that the radar is smart enough that when the signal comes back, if it's been messed with, the radar is going to tell you it's been messed with. Oh. It'll give you indications that it's being jammed. Interesting. And... We know it's being jammed in about every mode when we see these. You can tell it's being jammed, he said. That's insane. So the interesting part... Just hanging out. Just hanging out. And jamming signals. Yep. And being weird. Right. The interesting part of that is that part of the Geneva Convention says that when you actively jam another platform, that's technically an act of war. So UFOs committing war crimes. They don't know. Yeah, they don't know the Geneva Convention, I agree. But also... They're just hanging out jamming shit. If these were actually like planes from other countries and they were jamming them, then we would be at war because they would have figured that out. But we can't figure this out because they're UFOs. Yeah, because who are we going to go to war with? They can get into our atmosphere and we can't even leave our own, barely, barely. unless it's like we bring all this shit with us. So... In 2018, February 24th, 2018, over the Sonoran Desert of Mexico, two pilots flying different aircraft, a Phoenix Air Group Learjet and an American Airlines commercial flight, both reported passing... With people? Yep. Both reported passing a, quote, mysterious oblong object. The Tic Tac. The flying Tic Tac. flying Tic Tac. On November 9th, 2018, a British Airways pilot... Flying over Ireland reported seeing a very bright light that disappeared at very high speed. And a Virgin Airlines pilot confirmed seeing it also. The same. The same thing. Quote, Uh, multiple objects following the same sort of trajectory. Very bright from where we were. That's crazy. On February 21st, 2021. No. Like like two months ago? Yes. An American Airlines pilot reported seeing an object over... New Mexico, shortly after noon local time. FAA air traffic controllers did not see any object in the area or on their radar, but the air traffic recording can be downloaded online and it is very creepy. I want to tell the pilot is distressed. Yeah. Okay. And why aren't any of these pilots taking pictures? I I know know that y'all have um, iPads and shit. We do, yeah. But this is something that's interesting. So, buried deep in last December's COVID relief bill, tucked down into the committee comment what are you about to say <laughs> of the intelligence authorization act is a provision that requires u.s intelligence agencies to advise congress about all that they know about ufos by august of 2021 so that's put in the covid relief bill so when you got your check they were talking about ufos that's so 
random and strange. I know that people hide, like government hides things in bills, but it's like, I'm just blown away. I'm just, I'm just in shock a little bit. Right. It's all a lot to take in. And then we're going to be taking in a lot more here coming in August, apparently. Apparently. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So I'm going to read my sources. That's it. That's all I have. What are your thoughts? Oh my gosh. Tell me your thoughts. I need to see some photos. I have to listen to that transmission of the guy in New Mexico now. It's downloadable. The guy that saw it on the daily. Did you ever watch the Navy footage though? I don't think so. It's available on YouTube. Maybe I've seen a clip of it. It is clearly not like airplanes. These are literally like flying Tic Tacs and they're showing it on a a military radar screen essentially from a fighter jet and it's recorded. These things are just moving, like, whoop, moving around, just chilling out. Is it just radar or is it like actual footage? It's actual footage because it's actually like a 3D kind of radar. Oh, because it's it's not modern radar. It's not not weather radar. It's like, this is like interrogation radar for enemy aircraft. Yeah, it's detailed radar. Understood. And you just watch it and you just go... What yeah, that doesn't. Fuck? That's not an airplane. It doesn't yeah. move like an airplane. Doesn't look like an airplane. That's not an airplane. The story just faded out when we saw this. When the Navy released their radar stuff, it just kind of faded out. You're right. Like in the days of Trump, thankfully we're not there anymore. There were so many stories coming out daily that were so important, impactful, and like tragic that this did get buried. Just like um, information release get buried, got buried in the bill. Right. But I feel like, yeah, I listened to a podcast once that they were like, don't y'all remember how the Navy like released this shit and like nobody talked about it? Nobody. T- that's what happened. This is why that is what happened. the uh, Illuminati is real because when something, they always make something happen in pop culture so that we don't actually pay attention to the real news. And then that's when like somebody has a baby or somebody gets married or divorced or whatever. Right, right. Something comes out about Trump or ce- some celebrity yeah. something or whatever. And we're actually trying to hide UFOs, literal UFOs. There's and a the Navy lot admitted of... It. Cons- They're not kidding. Yeah. I was going to say there's a lot of conspiracy on this episode, but it does seem pretty genuine. And there's all this evidence. I mean, my dad, he was in Vietnam and mm-hmm. he was a radar repair technician Oh, and a radar operator. So yeah. and he was trained as a radar tech mm-hmm. so that he could repair radar array. He saw fast moving objects moving two, three thousand miles an hour. This is in the early 70s. Yeah. We don't have that technology. We didn't no. have the technology. So this is in the early 70s. They're moving hypersonic speeds, changing direction, like turning 90 speed, degree yeah. angles. He was simply told, yeah, we just don't talk about that. He said, we see that all the time. No they said way. The military said, we see that all the time. We don't talk about it. And so that's just me relaying a story that my dad told me. But yeah. this is not new. Right, right. We had this pilot in 1948 who goes chasing a UFO, blacks out. Mm-hmm. You know, this is... Yeah, and this I mean, is a lo- you... this is a long time. The data is pretty compelling. The right, evidence is pretty compelling. And I have my biggest question is like, why are none of these modern encounters being photographed? But again, it could be totally like electronically driven, like you said, like EMP, like a right a, a getting EMP, messed like with or electromagnetic jamming or whatever. But also, again, we don't maybe have all the information and. I can't, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say it's a big conspiracy or not. I'm just going to say, I would like to see more evidence going forward. And I think, I think we will. Well, I'm it sounds like they have to. 
Right, they're giving them a few Trump months to like had to, burn like, shit. Turn his tax returns into, but he never did. So you know, that's sort of the right. I'm not anticipating some I'm large curious though some info dump. I agree. I'm curious as well, but. Anyway, on that note, let me read my sources and we'll wrap this up. Okay, then you got to show me those videos. Okay, so my sources, of course, I use Wikipedia as usual. I used a Forbes article called FAA Can Explain Pilots UFO Sighting Last Weekend Over New Mexico. I used a CNBC article called Pentagon Declassifies Three UFO Videos by Navy Pilots. I used a Fox 10 Phoenix article about a fighter pilot. It's called Fighter Pilot Says UFO He Chased in 2004 Committed Act of War. And I used an article from UFOevidence.org called The Fantastic Flight of JAL 1628. And I used a variety of other sources and just pulled little tiny bits of them. I hope I could sleep tonight. Thanks for being on. It was nothing that I expected, but it was an excellent story. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) 